Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. So tonight we're going to do our, this is the eighth sermon in our study on uh, spiritual maturity. And uh, so far we've looked at four marks and three impedances. And tonight it, there's actually three of the fourth. So there's three words uh, that really the Lord put on my heart for us to look at uh, that I believe Scripture shows are impedances to spiritual maturity. Um, and so let's pray and we'll do this. Father, thank you so much for this time again. Uh, thank you for the music tonight, Lord, just thinking about your name, uh, thinking about all the, the, the blessings that come along with who you are and uh, standing on that and, and resting in that and, and then uh, knowing that you're faithful, uh, that your promises are sure. And um, God, we're just so thankful tonight in the middle of this week, uh, just as Jade shared a while ago, there's a lot of things going on with a lot of people. Uh, it seems like it's nonstop, God, and we talked about this before, but um, it, it is, um, it's hard. It's hard to see and experience. And, and, uh, but Lord, we do know that you're in control. And tonight, maybe just a, a little bit more of encouragement um, and uh, to be who you've called us to be so that we can uh, accomplish what you've called us to accomplish. And, uh, so we just ask you to bless now and uh, just use me as a vessel uh, so that you're honored and that your will is accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, looking at another um, impedance, um, what keeps us from moving from the place that we're at to a more mature spiritual place uh, is, is something that we're going to be examining. But the goal, uh, as, as we've seen from the beginning, is that as God's children, we move closer and closer and closer to Christ-likeness. And so, I, you know, I do this, and I just, I've thought about this before, it probably makes more sense for me to move this way for y'all, right? Because, like, things, as you turn the book, it goes that way. For, okay, anyways. Um, but you go down the path of spiritual maturity. And um, there are things that keep us from doing that, as we said. And tonight, the fourth thing I want to look at is uh, inconsistency or unreliability or unfaithfulness. Uh, we, we call it maybe the opposite of steadfastness, the opposite of being patient and enduring, the opposite of being, of course, faithful. Um, and by the way, as you're taking notes, some of you have been here and you've been a part of it and you know that it's already going on. Some of you may have no idea, um, but we have a group in our church center. If you like to use your phone to take down notes or you have a tablet of some kind that you'd like to jot down notes on, um, there's a group on church center. So you can go to the church center app and go down to the bottom at groups and it's called sermon notes PDFs. And you can ask to join that group, and then inside that group you'll see resources. And in, in those resources, there'll be PDFs, and tonight's notes are in there as well. So you can open those up on your device. And uh, somebody had the great idea, Miss Terry, uh, about making the blanks uh, editable so that you can actually type the, the notes in. So if you touch on the blanks, you can actually type in them if you don't have a little stylus or whatever. So uh, You can open the PDF. Yeah, I think you just open the PDF. I think you just open it, and it should go. So, there you go. If not, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, again, when we look at Christ as our example, he was nothing but reliable. 
And that's what we do. When we're considering who we're supposed to be following, no doubt it's supposed to be the perfect example, the perfect Savior of Jesus Christ. Um, His promises about him being faithful are very clear. And I want to look at a couple of those before we get into the impedance. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. So hold fast to our confession of faith without wavering. And here's the reason why. Because he... Uh, for he who promised is faithful. That word faithful. God is faithful. He's given us the promises. Uh, and, and so we are to hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, similar to the song we just sang. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed, but his compa- because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Uh, recently I shared this in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. The last thing that Jesus tells us as his followers to accomplish, and then he gives this comfort in, in the commission. He says that we're teaching them to observe all things, in verse 20, whatsoever commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world, amen. So again, the promises of God are sure. He's faithful. He is not going to pull back on any of his promises. He's not going to pull back on anything that he's told us. And again, the life that he lived as a, a, a human and God on this earth, or in flesh, in a human in flesh, as God was a perfect, perfectly clear example of what faithfulness, reliability, uh, and consistency looks like. So uh, I want to look at a little bit of his example further in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And look at these next few words. As his custom was. Now, you can just brief over that and you can just kind of read through this and and not really get what it's saying here. But the word custom is actually the Greek word for etho. Uh, It's also the word that we maybe sound a little more familiar for you, uh, ethos or ethos. Uh, And I think the Greek word is actually supposed to be ethos. Um, and so, or etha, and so uh, that word is basically a habit. In, in our day-to-day, a lot of people use that as um, not just a habit, but also referring to character, referring to ethics, ethos, ethics. That's where we get the word from it, for ethics. And so uh, when we look at this example, Jesus went to the synagogue as it was his custom on the Sabbath day as it was his habit, as it was ingrained in his character, as it was the whole of who he was, this is what he was doing. He was faithful to enter into the Sabbath, uh, enter into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Why is that so important? Well, because first of all, God, the the whole law pointed to Jesus Christ. Um, and, And not only that, but we see that as he's living this life on the earth, he's setting a perfect example in all things And one of the things he sets an example of in his life is to not forsake assembling. And we'll eventually see that. We we, we read uh, two verses right before it a while ago in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Uh, But he's setting that example of this is important to God. God created uh, the the, the temple, the the synagogue, the, uh, the, 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 the system of worship. All of these things God set up to point to Jesus Christ, to point to God. Uh, n- no works was ever going to save anybody. The Bible says that by faith, Abraham 
it was counted for him righteous, uh, as righteousness. And so um, it's never been by what they actually did that would save them. Neither it is for us today. But it's by faith they did these things. Again, if you look at the temple, you look at the synagogue, you look at the Sabbath day, you look at all those things, it points to trusting God and trusting God's ways. And so when we look at Christ was consistent, he was reliable, he was faithful, he was that perfect example of what our lives should look like. And this is one of those things that, that he sets example. It says that there was delivered to him a book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, he gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. So again, this was Jesus' custom, it was his habit. There was nothing that was going to keep Jesus from being where he was supposed to be on the Sabbath day. That, again, it was his habit, it was his custom, it was ingrained in his character, it was what he was about. Later on, we would see that the church would gather every single day, some, mostly in the temple, but as time would go on, uh, there would be persecution that would arise in Jerusalem, and it would scatter them. But the church still saw the need to faithfully get together, to faithfully honor God, to faithfully worship the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God, spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Those, those who have preached and taught you in the word of God. Here it is in verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So if he is being preached, his word is being preached, then it is our call as followers of Christ and as members of a church, to hear the teaching of God, to, to regularly, faithfully gather, to be reminded of what God's word says, because nothing has changed with Jesus Christ. He's the same. His word is the same. The call is the same. The command is the same. Things may change in our life, and hopefully, again, we will grow more like Christ, but there are things that remain that never change. He goes on to say, don't, don't, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good, uh, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So when we look at Christ, it was very clear as God that the eternal kingdom of God was priority for him. Very clearly, it was the things of God, it was following the will of the Father, it, it was the eternal kingdom. That's what was priority for Christ. As such, it's clear that the church being essentially the people of God in the new covenant. The, not, not that the Jews are part of the church as well. And we're not talking about the nation of Israel and what God's going to deal with them or how he's going to deal with them, but we're talking about the church composed of Jews and Gentiles alike. That church is the people of God in the new covenant. It's bought by his blood. Covenant uh, is testament in the New Testament. So the, when we say the New Testament church is the new covenant church, that covenant is, is made or sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's clear that the church, his people in the new covenant, his building, that we are the fabric of his plan. Why is this important? 
Because Jesus put it as priority, the things of God, the kingdom of God, the, the local church, the, uh, the worldwide church. It's all about what he set up, and you and I should be consistent as he was consistent. We should be reliable as he was reliable. We should be faithful as he was faithful. It should be able to be said of us that it was our custom, that it is our habit, that it is our practice. It is, it, is, it is ingrained in our character because it's who we are. That's why Christ did it. But Jesus had to go to church. Can you imagine that? Jesus, where's Jesus at today? It's the synagogue. I mean, it's the Sabbath day, and, and we're here in the synagogue. Where's Jesus? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine them wondering where he was? I, there's no way we can imagine that. Well, then some people will just automatically go to the defensive side and say, of course he'd be at church. He's God, you know. But again, he is who we are following. We are called Christians. We are associated with Christ. We're to be following his example. And this is one of those examples that we see in him. Again, he made it very clear. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't say I'm going to build a bigger temple, a physical temple. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to build my church, which is a temple of God. It's a building of God, the Bible says, but it's spiritual. It's people. It's us. And so this was the example that we have in our, in, in our Lord. With this being truth, we have to have some things 100% settled in our hearts. And I have it there in your notes, some, some questions to, to ask. First question is this. I, I think we have to get settled, is God God? And you're sitting here in a church service, and I look around, I don't know if we have any guests in here tonight, but I think most are members uh, maybe a, a few regular attenders, but I think we all would say yes. But that's an important question to get settled. Is God God, and is he really your God? And I think we can throw that around, and we can say that all day long, and we can profess that with our mouth, but is it real? Is it real in our life? Is this settled? Is God God? Is he my God? The second question I think if you can move on from that, if, if your answer is yes, I think it's important tonight with what we're talking about is answering the question, is God faithful? Is he faithful? Is God God? Is, who he, is, he, is he who he says he is? And therefore, if he is, he has to be faithful. The next question, is he incapable of lying? Yeah. If he is God and he is who he says he is, then he is absolutely incapable of lying. Everything he says is truth. Everything he promises will come true. And that's the last one. Is God reliable to keep his promises? These matters have to be settled in our hearts because they have, I believe, so much to do with our faithfulness, so much to do with our reliability, so much to do with our consistency. Because if I view my life with, with these truths, that God is God, and that he is faithful, and that he's incapable to lie about anything, and that he will keep his promise, he is absolutely, if I live my life every single day with those things 100% settled, then I can be absolutely free to live a consistent, reliable, faithful life in the kingdom of God. But if any of these things ever kind of waver in, in your life, and you may not say them with your mouth, but maybe they're wavering in your heart or in your mind. Maybe it's a matter of confession or conviction. Regardless, if these things are settled, 
I'm, I'm saying done. They're done. I'm, I'm, I'm good with all of these. Yes, 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 yes. All four, all four questions, the answer is yes. If it's settled, no question, then we can, but not only can, but we must move forward in faith. So we can move forward in confidence. We can move forward in faithfulness. We can move forward in, faith, in faithfulness, in consistency, in reliability, just as we see with saints who have gone before us. Again, the, we're going to look at a, a few, uh, we're going to look at the scripture that refers to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us a whole bunch of saints who lived their lives with these matters settled. Not, I'm not saying that they were perfect all the time or they had these matters settled all the time, but when we look at them, and the fact that the writer of Hebrews references them as basically heroes of the faith, we see that they were willing to go to be sawn asunder, to die at the mouth of beasts, to be persecuted, uh, to, to all, all kinds of things. You can read in Hebrews chapter 11. They were all willing to do that because these matters were settled. And they were faithful even through persecution. They were consistent even when nobody else was consistent. They were reliable when nobody else was around. You can read Hebrews chapter 11 and, and, and look at that, but we look at chapter 12, and it says this, Therefore, in light of all these people in, in chapter 11, who were reliable saints, faithful saints before us, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin which so or cling so closely. Now, we know that the, the King James says, easily besets us. The, I, I like this, this um, because sometimes it would be set. What does that mean? Like to be set aside, like it, it holds us back, it, it puts us to the side. Um, and there's a multiple possibility of this, multiple possibilities in this. Uh, but I think this is a good, accurate uh, definition of it, clinging so closely to us. But I also think that some of the words in the Greek that it's defined, in, uh, defined with is a constricting. So cling so closely, but also a constricting. Uh, the imagery that we see in this word is that of like an animal snare, right? It, you, you see what happens with, a, with an animal that gets snared? Um, it's, 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 it's held up. It's, it's kept in position. It's not able to run and do and hunt. It's not able to move forward. And so it is constricted. It's obstructed. Another good word is distracted, but it has to do with this, this holding up, this pinning forward. If you can imagine trying to run a race with uh, being completely weighted down. Uh, Y'all probably familiar with that, what is it, Christmas story? Where that kid licks the pole and it sticks to it? Everybody knows that. <laughs> like, uh, but wasn't it like, uh, I think it was that same movie where the mom bundles him up, right, to go out. And he's like, you know, he can't, he can't move or anything like that. Uh, that I th when, I was, when I studied this, like, that's the picture that came on my mind. Is so constricted, so restricted, so hindered that you try to run like that. That could, kid couldn't hardly move out. And then we try to get him off. They, he was on the floor and they, you know, trying to pull it off. And so, but that's what he says. We have to lay aside all the weights that pull us down, but also the sin that engulfs, that constricts us, that obstructs us from moving forward. And when, we, and when we do that, when we let go of these things and we get, get out of the snares, get out of the constriction, then we can run the race with, look at that word, endurance. 
I love that word too because that word simply means this. Patience in the, in the King James. But specifically, I like this. Cheerful endurance or constancy. Let us run the race with cheerful constancy, consistency, faithfulness. That's the only way that we can run the race that we've been called to run, this race of faith, is to not be held back by weight, to not be constricted by sin, to not be ensnared with sin, but to patiently endure, to keep pushing forward in constancy. And then here is the goal, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. I love that who for the joy that was set before him, look at that next word, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured, there it is again, from uh, sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Did you just hear what the writer said? You have all of these witnesses that went before you that were faithful, that endured great trials and afflictions, and even many of them lost their lives being reliable, consistent, and faithful. Their faith in Christ drove them to that. Now that you have that example, when you consider that, then we've got to release all of the weight. We've got to get, get out of all of the snares that keep us from running the race that's before us with continuance, with constancy, with faithfulness. And the only way that we can do it is to look to Jesus who did just that. Who faced contradiction, who faced the cross, who, who, who faced the shame of dying a criminal's death, all for us, and he did it with faithfulness. He endured it with patience, constancy. He moved forward. We're charged to be faithful charged to be consistent, charged to be reliable, to endure, to stay the course, regardless of what goes on. Not only is this our Lord's example, not only do we see this in Jesus Christ, but I believe these are the marks of a true Christian. I think I put that in your notes. These are the marks of a true Christian. Perseverance, endurance. I think one of the things that sets true Christians apart is that they don't depart from the faith. Right? That's, that's what the, the Bible uh, tells us, that they, they, they didn't continue with us because they were not of us. It talks about that. And so uh, the closer we get to Christ-likeness, the, closer that we, uh, the more that we grow in our faith, I believe the more faithful, the more enduring we become, even in the trials of life. N not just the trials of life, but in life period. So the more we become like Christ, the more we are consistent through trials, the more that we are constant through whatever we face, the more we become like Christ, the, the more we become reliable to finish the course like Christ did. Does that, everybody, that, under, you, that make sense? The, the more that we become like Christ, the more our life looks like what he did when he went to the cross. Nothing's going to hold me back. Nothing's going to pull me to the side. Nothing's going to keep me from completing the will of God. Nothing's going to keep me from being consistent. Nothing's going to keep me from being reliable. Nothing's going to keep me from being steadfast. Nothing's going to keep me from, from being faithful to God and the things of God. That's what our example was in Jesus Christ. So the more that we become like him, 
I think the less excuses we have in, the, in our walk of faith. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, we read this last week. You did run well, but who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Galatians had been pulled aside by these Judaizers. Uh, they were trying to be convinced that they still had to observe the, the rite of circumcision uh, to be fully uh, you know, in the faith. But that's not, that's not at all uh, what, what the gospel says. Galatians chapter 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And we've recently saw the damage of being double-minded. Uh, we talked about how, how it says uh, if you're not stable, then you'll be carried away with all different various doctrines and, and uh, get, get carried away with endless genealogies and, and doubtful disputes, all those things. One of the things that I, I believe is true is oftentimes uh, we can go wrong. Professing believers can go wrong in that we have this expectation of what God's faithfulness looks like. And our definition of that is that everything is good. Every circumstance, and therefore God is good. That's how we define his faithfulness. That's how we define his goodness. Is when everything is good in our life, then God is faithful. If everything is good and right in our life, then God is good. That's, I believe, where we, where we go wrong. Is, is we go through negative circumstances and we begin to doubt the goodness of God. We, we begin to even compromise our consistency, our reliability. We, we begin to compromise our faithfulness to God because all of a sudden our circumstances are not necessarily good. And so now we can't say God is absolutely good because our life isn't necessarily good in circumstances. I want to tonight consider the, the disciples in the ship. I'm almost done. But in, in the storm, when Jesus said, go over the other side, there's a work to do. Uh, so they get in the boat, right? And we talked about this recently, how Jesus grabbed a pillow. It was in a devotion that I, share, uh, that I read. He grabs a pillow. It's not really something that uh, a fisherman grabs um, when they're going to be just going to the other side. Um, I've shared this before, but I've been to the Sea of Galilee, and um, it's, it's a lake. It's not like it's an ocean's journey across the sea, you know. I mean, when they say the Sea of Galilee, it's a lake. Um, I think there's probably parts of Eagle Mountain Lake that are bigger than the Sea of Galilee. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. That's an absolute truth. Um, and so, if you think about it, it's not like, I would think, in that, in that circumstance, that the disciples probably thought, why is he bringing a pillow? Now, he had been doing a lot. There's no doubt he was exhausted. There's no doubt that he was, he was wore out. Because he had those, he hungered, he, he, he wept. I mean, he had the human facilities that we have. And so there's no doubt, I believe, that Christ was sleepy. Maybe they thought, man, he is in desperate need of a nap. The Lord is sleepy. I mean, he's barely making himself into the, into the, uh, the boat. He grabbed his pillow, too, you know. I mean, uh, it's interesting, you know. You know what's interesting? This is just, this is, Paul would say, I speak as a man. Um, I'm speaking as a man. Because the Lord knows I don't want to be blasphemous anyways. Uh, but... Did he just carry a pillow around like a, like a blankie? Because it says that the Son of Man didn't have a, a place to lay his head. You know, he didn't have like his own home. So did, he's like, you know what, I don't have a house, but I got a pillow. You know, I, I, I have no idea. But anyways, he had a pillow. He's in the boat. He's sleeping. And you know the situation. Here, here are the characters. Here's what's going on and what they're doing. The disciples, Christ, 
the boat. We know there's a sea, we know there's wind, we know there was a storm. All these things are going on. What was happening? The wind, the storm, and the sea were all boisterous. It was a bad storm, and it was hitting the, the boat with the disciples and Christ in it. And what was the response of the characters? The response of the characters, the disciples, well, they were worrying about dying. That's what the Bible says. They, 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 uh, they worried unto death or whatever. I mean, they, they were afraid that they were going to die. The storm is going to cost us our life. And Christ, that's what they're doing, worrying about dying. Christ, we know, on his pillow that he carries around, sleeping in the boat. Now, I, as I was studying today, I read something that uh, Spurgeon uh, was teaching on this, and I thought it was just a phenomenal thought. And I put one of the quotes out on, on Facebook, and I thought, man, that is just really good. Um, but Christ was sleeping while his disciples were worrying, and the storm was raging all around. Think about this. He was at peace enough. He was at calm, calm enough in his mind and his heart. Now, maybe he was completely exhausted, but you still have to get to a place when your life is at risk, you still have to get to a place where you have peace and calm to be able to go to sleep. He was that at peace and that at calm with the Father to actually sleep. Not that he was trying to sleep, not that he was dozing and kept waking off. He was out. He was completely asleep. Was he there? Was he in the boat? Absolutely. Did he know what was going on? I would say absolutely, even before it ever happened. And the question then is this, did he not care? Did he not care? If he knew what was going to happen beforehand, and he's sleeping, his disciples are worrying about death, did he not care for them at all? We notice in that story that Christ was consistent. He was just as trusting of the Father in the middle of that storm as he was when multitudes were following him in his great fame. Do you get that? He, he, was, he was so much at peace with the Father being in control. He was so much at peace of being in the, in the middle of that storm, being tossed about. He was so at peace that God still had it, that the Father still had it, that he could sleep. When others, other human beings, were fearing for their lives. He was never worried that his circumstances were out of the hands of the Father. So he slept. Think about that. He never once worried that his circumstances were too bad that it was out of the Father's hands. That's how he could sleep. See, when we look, we will look at our lives, as I said a while ago, we're supposed to be mimicking Christ. We're supposed to be imitating him. And, and, and as, uh, as Hebrews chapter um, 13, verse 7, we said a while ago, um, it says those who are, who are teaching you the word of God, imitate their faith. Again, it, it's Jesus Christ. It's his word. It's, it's, it, it, all we're supposed to do is consistency, if faithfulness, reliability, because that's what we see in Jesus Christ. But when, when, when I 
uh, am here every time that we're gathered as a body, unless, God forbid, I'm sick or, or, or something keeps me you know, out of town or whatever, uh, it, it's not because it's a legalistic issue. I, I, I put an article that Tom Rainer um, uh, wrote this week as well, and I posted it as well because I thought it was great. Just, just the, the, the understanding about gathering as a body. You know, what we're doing tonight and whenever we gather. Man, it, it, it's not, be, here it is. If this is what God has called us to do, not only this, but share the gospel, to love others as we love ourselves, all the commands of God, then we should strive to be as consistent, reliable, and faithful in all the ways of God that we possibly can be. Amen. Not looking for excuses. Again, we don't see that for Christ. Could Christ have just transported himself to the other side? Absolutely. But he was teaching them a great lesson that he knew that the Father had this. His disciples had seen him feed multitudes. They'd seen him heal the sick. They'd seen him raise the dead. They had seen Christ do the miraculous. Yet as he slept, they fretted. Like We don't really think about it in our terms today. But when that doctor says, this is what it is. When your relationship goes down the tubes or the finances are in, listen, he's still the father that has everything in his hands. When it feels like your life is completely, the rug has been ripped out from under you. Listen, Jesus still knows. God still has everything in his hands. The, 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 the disciples, why are you doing this? Why are you letting this happen? They didn't take, him, they didn't take it that far. Maybe it was in their hearts. Jesus, why did you put us on this ship? Why did you make us go to this? Why did you let this happen to our life? They didn't do that. They got close. They questioned his affection for them, his love for them. They had the brazenness to wake him from his exhausted state, from his completely peaceful and calm state, and boldly demand an answer for their emotional faithless state. You get that? There he is, calm, peace, at rest, exhausted. And it was in their circumstances, in the way that they were handling this, in an emotional way, that they go up to him in a brazen way and say, do you not care that we're dying? Master, don't you care that we're dying? You put us on the boat. You told us to go over. You told us that we were to follow you. We did, and now we're dying, and you're sleeping. Do you not care? What an emotional demand. But I want to say tonight, I'm about done. Could they not follow him as he called them to do? I'll say, they were, right? No, no, no. I'm saying even in the midst of the storm. Could they not have seen him bring, their, bring his pillow and say, maybe he's planning to be out here for a while. Maybe we're going to encounter something that we're not expecting. Either way, we're going to imitate him. Let's grab our pillow. And then when the storm started to come and he's over there yawning and nodding off, they're going, oh no, 
uh, there's, there's stuff, this is a bad, this is one of those really bad storms that comes on the sea every now and then. This is what it's going to be. And they started doing that. He's nodding off. And, and so they started reacting emotionally to their circumstances. Instead of following what Jesus was doing, they too could have had their pillow because he brought his, and they too could have went and snuggled right up to the, the bosom of the Savior. And said, if he sleeps, we sleep. If he's at peace with it being in the Father's hands, we're at peace with it being in the Father's hands. We can be so unfaithful like the disciples. See, our view of God can change because our circumstances dictate our emotions. And then we become inconsistent. We can be so like the disciples. Again, we look at God, and he's God, and he's faithful, and, 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 and he keeps his promises, and, and he's all those things as long as things are good. But then we can be exactly like the disciples, our view of him. Do you not care that we perish, God? Do, we not, do you not care that we're in the middle of this huge trial, and we're probably going to die? Do you not care? We are so like them, because when our circumstances come, and the storm starts to consume us, and the rug gets pulled out from underneath us, we begin to say, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to go today. I don't know if I'm going to be a part of that because I just don't feel close to the Lord. I just don't. What changed? Because we already saw God does not change. He is faithful. He is consistent. He is reliable. He, he endured. He, his, the quality of his endurance took him all the way to the cross that he didn't deserve to die on. He's faithful even when the storms arise. Even when our vision is blurred by the giant of who he is, he's faithful. So should we not be like our Lord, so at rest, so at calm, so trusting the Father? It doesn't matter what storm, it doesn't matter what wind blows against us, it doesn't matter what sea or the waves look like, but that we remain faithful, we remain true, we remain reliable. Jesus' rebuke to them was simple. They weren't following him in the trial. Look, they could have laid down. They could have taken the nap too, but they didn't do that. And so his indictment was very clear. What did he say? Oh, ye of little faith. You're not trying to run this Christian race, this life with faith. You're handling it with your own emotions and strength. And so his indictment was against them. You have so little faith. Here I am. I've, I've healed the sick, I've raised the dead, I've fed multitudes with five loaves and two fishes. You saw it all, you were part of it all, you were in the middle of it all. Here he is saying to us, I saved your life from despair. You were a lost sinner on your way to hell, and I made you clean and made you a son or a daughter. I changed your life, I blessed your life, I've given you family, I've given you a church family, I've given you all those things, and in the middle of your storm, you're going to doubt who I am and what I'm able to do. So we should be consistent and faithful. As the end draws near, I'm not going to read these, but you're, you're familiar with them, many of you. Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25. The wise and faithful servant is the one that is found doing when the master returns. The parable of the talents is the one that was consistent and faithful and fruitful that he says well done to. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Let us consider one another to provoke uh, unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as to see the day approaching. 
Revelation chapter 17, verse 14 says this, They that will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. I'm sorry, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Listen to this. And those who are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Does your life look like it's becoming more and more committed to Christ? Does your life look like it's becoming more and more faithful day by day? Are you becoming more and more faithful and committed, or have you slacked? You find yourself in, in a place in your Christian life that maybe you see a little bit of inconsistency. Are you less faithful to the Lord? Are you less faithful to gathering with your local body? Are you less faithful with witnessing? Are you less faithful with prayer? Are you less faithful in being in the Word of God than you once were? Can your life be defined by faithfulness, period? In every aspect of the Christian life, can, can this define your life? Listen, here it is. Reliable. When, when my life is examined, I am consistent, reliable, and faithful. Can that be said to you, said about you? Or do you find that you're up and you're down? That you're in church and you're out of church? You're in serving, you're out of serving. You're hot, you're cold. You're back, you're forth. Are you inconsistent? There are times that others wonder where you are. Are you reliable, faithful, and consistent? See, if we find that we are not, then it has now become a roadblock to us becoming more like Christ. Because Scripture very clearly shows us He is reliable, consistent, and faithful. And if we're not, again, something, we're, some, that is keeping us from being more like Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this reminder tonight, this challenge to me, uh, to our church. And I pray that we would set our sights on You. That we wouldn't, we wouldn't fret or worry about the storms or the sea. Lord, You are the perfect example in all things for us. Lord, as we consider the, the story tonight again about you sleeping in the boat with the disciples and you were at peace and rest, you had, you had a calm to sleep, and they worried, Lord, help us be more like you than those disciples were in our lives. Help us not be controlled by our circumstances. Help us not to allow our emotions to be swayed with circumstances and then dictate what we do or don't do. Lord, help us be defined by our faith in you. Help our lives be very clearly patterned after you so that we can be faithful and consistent and reliable. Lord, we realize that um, that's the only life that's going to be moving closer to you, to Christ-likeness. And so uh, just move tonight, Lord. Bless in this time as we respond, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.